Okay. Um, we have a number of Peters, don't we, in the church? <laughs> Put your hand up if you're Peter. Uh, yeah, there's a few. Well, some have gone out as well. And some Simons, too. Any Simons here? Simon's gone out, hasn't he? Okay, right there. There we go. So we'll let him off the hook. Uh, it's very interesting, actually, when you, when you look, look at the life of Peter, um, that you, I think, suddenly kept thinking to myself, I can see myself in that man. And, and we get so much from looking at the lives of others and the way Jesus dealt with them in their lives. Uh, this week, when I was actually just um, think, been thinking a lot about what we're going to say, talk about this morning, I was thinking about Rachel's message to us last week about Mary. And um, nothing about what you said, I'm afraid, Rachel, but it was, I was thinking, why did Jesus uh, ask John and not Peter to look after, to look after his mother? And I suddenly thought, you know, I mean, after all, um, John is mentioned less than 50 times in the Gospels, whereas Peter's mentioned nearly 200 times. And when we look at the life of Peter, he spent a lot of time, he's, he's very prominent in all the Gospels. Um, but, you know, I was thinking, Jesus has got a, a role for each one of us, hasn't he? Peter, he had him destined to actually be the rock that he's going to build his church on. Whereas John, um, John didn't die a martyr's death. I think it was the only disciple who who lived and died of old age, so we think, and he, on, on the island of Patmos. But God, Jesus had another role for him, and that was to bring that wonderful revelation, wasn't it, that we read in the back of our Bible. So we've all got roles. Um, that, that, uh, and you know, I, can't, I can't imagine Peter being a prisoner on the island of Patmos, being, being a passive prisoner. Can you imagine? You know, when, you get to know, when you get to read about him, he was a bit of a surly character, stormy, headstrong. He'd have died before he got to the island. I'm sure he would have done. Um, but you know, the thing is that Jesus knew his disciples totally through and through. And throughout this morning, I'm going to be, be making applications to ourselves. Rather than do it all at the end, I'm going to, as we come across points, I just want to make applications to us. And the, fact, the first one is that Jesus knows us through and through. He knows us inside out. Every one of us. So we see that although Peter was to become the lead apostle in the, the building of Jesus' church, um, there are a few things that he's sorting out in his life first. He needs a bit of the refining fire to equip him, equip him and get him ready for service. To make him into something that, so that Jesus could use effectively for himself. So, meet Simon Peter the fisherman. Uh, any fishermen here this morning? You, you like okay? Any other fishermen now? Oh, fisher ladies, should I say? Fisherwomen now? No. no. Uh, do you fish with a, a line, or do you go out in boats? You fish? Uh, okay, not a real fisherman. No. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Peter. <laughs> uh, there we go. No, the sort of fishermen I'm thinking about are the sort of fishermen I used to come in contact with in Dartmouth when I was working for the uh, Harbour Authority there. And they're the ones who used to get out early in the mornings in the boats, go out to sea in all weathers, putting, pulling up the pots and things like that. And these, this lot were a surly lot, you know. You know if you said to them, good morning, they might, if you got a grunt out of them, that would be a conversation from them. They, they weren't a very communicative lot. But they were really tough. They were a tough lot, they were. And, and so when we, look at, we start looking at Peter, we, we sort of think ourselves, yeah, he was one of these tough, surly fishermen making a living, probably actually going out catching fish for his family first and foremost. Uh, and anyway, so 
we're told in the Gospels of this first meeting that Jesus, when he first met the disciples, and it's contained in all the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, of, of this first meeting of Jesus with Peter. And what's really wonderful about, about the Gospels is that they've all got slightly different uh, angles to it. So, to me, it gives credibility to the, to the Gospels that they all give a slightly different story. And we, in Matthew and Mark, um, and Mark is probably one of the earliest Gospels written. In fact, it's believed that Mark was actually dictated to by Peter. Mark was himself was a disciple. But Peter, when he was in Rome, he wanted to get the Gospel down. So he got this, this young man, John Mark, and got him to write the Gospel of Mark. A first-hand account of Jesus. And in, in Mark and, John, and Matthew, uh, if, if you've got Bibles and you want to follow it, it's up to you. I'm going to be going quite quickly. But Matthew 4 and Mark 1, Jesus tells us that he met them while fishing. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And it says in both those accounts, they at once left their nets and followed in the book of John, in the Gospel of John, we get a bit more detail there. Um, we read that the disciples, some of the disciples-to-be, were listening to John the Baptist. And you might recall in, in, in John chapter 1 that John the Baptist actually identifies Jesus as Son of God. And so Andrew and a few of the other to-be uh, disciples start following Jesus. And Andrew dashes off to get his brother Peter and said... Come on, Peter, we've met the Messiah. Come and see him. And in verse 42, there's this lovely occasion where, where Jesus looked at Simon Peter and he said, You are Simon, son of Jonah, or son of John. You will be called Peter. And there's more in that, in that, in that statement than meets the eye. When we start looking into the, the, the meanings of the word Simon and the meanings of the word Peter, we see that some commentaries uh, translate the word Simon as Hebrew for reed, for a reed. And a reed is a, is a tall thing, you can imagine, tall. It's proud, but it sways in the wind. It blows with the wind, um, and it's easily broken, easily bent, easily bruised. But the word Peter is a translation for rock, something solid, something with a good foundation, something which is dependable. So... Jesus immediately saw Simon Peter as, as he was at the time, a wavering reed. But he also saw that what he would become, which is a solid rock. And here's another thing. You know, we've just been singing earlier on um, about Jesus, who was, who is, and is to come. We're talking about past, present and future tense. Who was, who is, and who is to come. And when Jesus, the one who contains all those three things, he looks at us and he knows what we were. He knows what we are now. And he knows what his plans are for us for the future, what is to come. And I would like to make, be bold and make a statement that he, Jesus, has a wonderful and unique plan for the life of each person in his place this morning. And then we get on to uh, Luke's account. We've left Luke out to the last. Uh, and this is a, a lovely story here. Uh, the story is um, Jesus is by, by the lake of Gennesaret, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee. And you can imagine him, all the crowds are coming to listen to him as, they used, as Jesus used to, used to attract them. And he's being pressed by the crowds. And I don't know if you've ever, you've ever been in that situation where you're trying to address a crowd. 
that when I was in the Royal Marines, sometimes I'd say to the guys, gather round, I've got some detail for you. And they'd all get a bit too close and you think, oh, you know, you're trying to talk into bodies and the people at the back can't hear. So Jesus, was, you know, he's backing himself up and he got to the edge of the lake and he thought, well, I'm going to go now. And he looked behind him and there were two boats there. So he jumped into one of the boats, just happened to be Simon Peter's boat. And, and he said to Peter, can you put out a bit from the shore? So Peter, okay, he sort of pulled out from the shore a bit. And Jesus sat in the boat and he addressed the crowds from the boat. You know, good acoustics over the water. You knew what he was doing, Jesus did. Uh, <laughs> but here's the thing. Can you imagine? He's got to imagine now. But Jesus sat in the boat, dressed in the crowd. And there's Peter at the tiller. You know, can you imagine him thinking, me, me and Jesus, you know, me and the Messiah. He's teamed up with me, you know. Not only that, he's using my boat. I think he owes me one now, you know. This is, he seems to feel really proud. You can just imagine, can't you? Um, but, you know, we can never get Jesus, or we can never get God into our debt. We can never do so much for God that he owes us one. And here we go. After speaking, Jesus told Simon Peter to put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Uh, can you just imagine? There's Peter, the surly fisherman, <coughs> and he's got this carpenter with his boat. And this carpenter is saying to him, Go out into the deep and put your nets down. He said, who do you think you are? You know, I'm, you're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. Uh, and actually, the, the natural pride in all of us would say, would say you know, you know let, leave the fishing to me. You stick with your carpentry. But, uh, and, and, and more than that, you know, it's actually daytime. The fishermen fished at night. They put a, a light over. Off there's a moon. The fish were attracted. And they tended to, to fish in shallow water as well. But Jesus is saying, go out. I know the sun's shining. Go out into the deep. Let down your nets. And the funny thing was, is that, G is that Peter was obedient to Jesus. He actually did it. And there's another point for us here as well, actually, that obedience is vital for success. And, you know, um, Simon obeyed, and they caught so many fish. And remember this, because I'm going to refer to this later on. Remember, the nets actually started to tear they actually started to rip. And, the, and, the, and the, the boats were so full of fish, they got the other boat out as well, they started to sink. And, uh, you know, Simon had, a, had quite a profound effect on Simon. He said, go away, I'm a sinful man. But do you know what Jesus did? He said, follow me. Leave it all and come and follow me. And Simon left all and follow Jesus. And that brings us to a point which, in all the four Gospels, in the account of when he called these disciples, these fishermen especially, there was a demand followed by an offer. The demand was, follow me. The offer was, I will make you. It didn't say, follow a set of rules, or follow a system, or even... Go and follow the way the Pharisees and the synagogue teaches you. Didn't say in our day, didn't go and say, follow a church or follow a great preacher, although we've got a great pastor here, you know. But he didn't say go and follow aid. He said, follow a person, follow me, follow Jesus. And follow me all the way. Don't leave me, 
be with me. And I'll promise you that whatever I ask you to do, I'll be there with you doing it. What a demand is that? I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like a, you know, more than a demand, isn't it? It's, it's a real privilege. But it's followed by an offer. And the offer is not, you know, if you follow me, I'll maybe see how you turn out, you know. I will put you on probation for three months, you know, and see, see whether you make, make the mark. We'll see whether you actually, um, you know, can do what we want you to do. No, he said in a, a definite way, I will, I will make you a fisher of man, men. I will make you win souls for me. And so we get to the point where we've started Peter's walk with Jesus. And when we read through the Gospels, we see the life he led with Jesus, the preaching, the teaching, the miracles, the healing, they're all part of Jesus's, uh, sorry, Peter's journey to becoming a rock. It was a training ground for Peter. And there's so many stories we could, we could look at, but I just want to look at one in particular, and it's in Matthew 14, uh, if, if you want to look at it and check what I'm saying is right. Um, it's about the incident of Peter walking on the water. We all know the story quite well, but just to set the scene that Um, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. Remember that story? And he went aside and he sent his disciples off in a boat. He said, right, you go off across the other side of the lake. I'm going up into the the hills. I'm going to the mountain to pray. And it's something that Jesus did quite a lot. It's something we should follow his example. Spend time to be alone with God. But as night fell, the disciples were out in the sea. And they said that the wind was contrary. The wind was against them. For those who, who know the way of boats, I mean, I know there are some sailors here. Uh, when the wind's against you and you're trying to get somewhere and the, and the waves are getting up, it can be a bit of a tough time. It's dark, the waves, obviously there's a wind. If there's waves, there was wind there as well. And Jesus uh, left his praying and he went walking out to them on the water. <clears throat> now, you've just got to sort of imagine the scene, haven't you, really? It's dark, there's the wind and the waves splashing over the boat. And suddenly they see this guy walking across the water to them. And the Bible says they were scared, they were afraid. And uh, I think any of us would have been if you'd seen somebody walking on the water. But this is what, it's really, really lovely. What did Jesus do? He didn't go boo or anything like that. <laughs> he, he said to them, immediately, he says, Jesus said, It's me, don't be afraid. I thought, wonderful. And do you know, Jesus, if we follow Jesus, he'll never bring fear to our life. We may, go, we may do some things which, which, regard, which, which, you know, we're in fearful places, but Jesus himself will always bring calm. He'll always bring comfort to our lives if we follow him and we reach out to him. Hmm. So there's Peter in a boat with the rest of the disciples, bold as brass. If it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So there you go. There's a lesson for us here, isn't there, as well? If Jesus has come, it may be dangerous. It may look dangerous. It may look impossible. But the thing is, we've got to be brave and we've got to step out onto that boat. Or step out of that boat into the impossible situation. I mean, we know Ben and, ben and Heather here and we pray for them uh, every day, I think we pray for them. Don't we? We've got somebody praying for them every day out in Nepal. 
And God has called them into somewhere which is really dangerous, walking through the mountains in Nepal. Sometimes they don't know where they're going to. They're relying on the locals to give them shelter and food in in that harsh environment. But Jesus said to them, come, go for me. So if Jesus says come, then do it. We know we've got to admire Peter, haven't we? I mean, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come. Come. Ah, right. Okay. <laughs> Can you imagine it? Who's the sailors? Uh, you say, oh, don't you? Robert? Yeah. Have you ever tried stepping out of the boat? <laughs> no, no, no. I still a lot of sailing, and I've, I've, I've never tried it, no, not at all. But Peter did. He was brave enough to, to actually get out of that boat. And he found himself walking on the water. And he's okay for a few steps. He's doing really well. He's watching Jesus. Then all of a sudden he lost his nerve. He suddenly got caught sight of the wind and the waves and the danger that was all around him. He thought, what am I doing? And do you know, he took his eyes off Jesus. And as soon as he did that, remember what he did? He started to sink. He started to sink. Do you know... Again, another lesson for us here. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus all the time. And you know, I I was just thinking about this, keeping our eyes on Jesus. We need to be deliberate and we need to be intentional about it. There are so many distractions in life which will take our eyes off Jesus. I mean, we need to learn to recognise those distractions and, and, and fix them. Keep our eyes on Jesus. So Peter, there he was, sinking in the, in the water. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Peter cried, Lord, save me. Um, now Jesus, if he, hadn't, if he hadn't been the son of God and been a nice guy, he could have said, oh, for goodness sake, Peter. You know, could he not just keep your eyes on me for a few minutes? But he didn't. No, in verse 31, again, another, another immediately, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. Jesus responds to our cry for help. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, almost life and death situation, where you've called out to God for help. Maybe you have. I mean, there's only once in my life where, where I've been in that situation that I can remember. And that, that was, in the, uh, that was on, on a boat in the Philippines. And we were, Lynn and I and my two youngest daughters, we were setting sail out. We'd, we'd had a... A few weeks in the Philippines, and we were setting out into the Pacific Ocean, and we got caught by a storm. Um, you get these sudden storms appear there, and next thing I knew, uh, Lynn wasn't really well. Sorry, Lynn, you don't mind me saying you. She, she passed out. My daughters were brilliant. You know, one of them looking after her. But for those who sail, when a, when a, a, a gale force wind hits a sail, especially if you've got too much sail up, as I had, and it came very quickly. I think I was down below doing doing the doing the log at the time, and. Uh, I said, how fast are we going, Lynn? She said, eight knots. I said, what? Uh, anyway, we suddenly found ourselves overwhelmed by this storm. And I had to get sail down quickly. And, uh, and the sails were billowing out. And, uh, and it was blowing. We were blowing onto what we call a lee shore, which means it's land to the, wind side, to the leeward side of you. The wind was blowing us onto land. And I managed to get the engines going just about. Uh, and on my whole 
my whole being was, was actually trying to get this boat working, you know, and, and get this boat away from safety because I could see the coral reef. You get this deep, dark blue water, then it turns a really light blue, and that's where the coral is. And it would just rip the bottom out of a boat. And if we fell overboard, it would just rip us to shreds. And I knew we were, in a, we were in a very dangerous situation. And I think it's the only time in my life is, I said, God, I need you now. I need you now. And I was serious about it. I'd love to say that Jesus calmed the storm at that time. <laughs> I'd love to say that the wind died, the waves went down and everything, the sun came out again, but it didn't. But what God did, he managed to, he got us, and we could see ourselves getting closer to that shore, but eventually the, the, the land veered away and we were in open water. And I said, thank you, God. Do you know, God is always there for us. It might not be as dramatic as, as some, some of these accounts we read in the Bible, but God is always there. Jesus is always there for us. So here we have Peter in the water, having to be saved by God. Do you know, he's still a Simon, still a reed, being waved by the wind. But he was learning. He was learning the lesson. I need to fast forward a little bit more now to... Uh, uh, to chapter 16 of Matthew, uh, and here we are. Jesus had taken his disciples to a town called Caesarea Philippi. And for those of you here last week, uh, um, Rachel had an, some lovely maps on, on the overhead projector. Uh, and Caesarea Philippi is right in the north of that map. You've got the Dead Sea, and then the Lake of Galilee, and then you've got right at the very north is, is Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus had taken them all the way to there. And, you know, um, there's some interesting Peter, Peter moments here. Uh, up until this time, and it's been about two years, two and a half years with the disciples, Jesus had, hadn't revealed himself who he was. Even to his disciples, he'd never once said to them, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God. And he got to this place with his disciples and he said to them, uh, right, okay, who do people say that I am? Remember the story? Who do people say that I am? And some said, oh, some people think you're John the Baptist come back to life. Other people say you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then Jesus gets personal and says, yes, but who do you say that I am? You've been with me now for a couple of years. And Peter, spokesman as ever, replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's one up for Peter. He got that one right, didn't he? <laughs> well done, Peter. And Jesus replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Still Simon. For this was revealed to you, not by man, but by my Father, which is in heaven. There's some questions for ourselves here as well. First one is, are we willing, are you willing, am I willing to confess Jesus Christ in front of others? Peter confessed Jesus Christ in front of those who are gathered, are we prepared to do that? And I'll confess, there's been times where I've been, I've been thinking, I could just say something now, and I haven't done. Are we prepared to confess Jesus Christ? It's important, because if we confess Jesus Christ, the word says that he all confesses in front of the Father. And anyway, Jesus continues with Peter, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. 
So at this point, Jesus actually gave Peter his commission. This is what you're going to be. You're going to be the rock on which I'm going to build my church. And again, we need to be willing uh, to be part of that church, built into Jesus' church, with all the discipline, the responsibility and commitment that that entails. Now, I don't know where Peter was on, on all of that at the time, but you can imagine, just imagine his ego. He's talking to me, you know. I'm going to be the rock that he builds his church. Uh, and he could, I can just see him now thinking, you know, you hear that, John? <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> me, you know, I'm the one, number one. But then, we go on a few verses in this chapter. Uh, Jesus, get, with his disciples around him, he predicts the suffering, his death and his resurrection. And they're going, well, hang about you're the Messiah. We've just heard that you are the Christ. And repeat, Peter rebukes Jesus. Never, Lord, that shall never happen to you. And Jesus very simply deals with this. Get behind me, Satan. Wow, what a rebuke. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You're a stone I'm tripping over, not a stone I can build on. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Oh dear, Simon. But before we start condemning him too much, we've got to think about the history of the time. What, was, what had been going on in that part of the world? The, the Romans had actually been in occupation. They'd been in, in the rule of, of Israel for about 60 years or so. A, bit, a little bit longer than that, in fact. And... And they were looking for a Messiah. It was promised in the prophets. They were looking for this Messiah to come and, and liberate uh, God's people. Surely the Messiah would come and he would fight and conquer. He would, he'd be there and, he, and the, the Roman army would be re- rejected. Not die. Not die. But you know, it's a sobering thought to think that the Roman occupation... The Roman rule lasted for another 300 years beyond that. A devastating effect to the early church. Peter had confessed Jesus as a promised Messiah. Can we blame him for thinking, well, you know, I'm the guy who's lent him my boat. I'm, I've been with him for a couple of years. Probably thinking, I'm going to be a general in this, in this army of liberation. But if the Messiah dies... What then? If he dies, I'll probably end up dying. And do you know, as, as some of the commentaries you, you read think he was afraid. He was afraid of dying at that point. It probably wasn't sort of any great uh, religious fervour he had. It was actually, what about me? What about me? Again, you know, we can learn a lesson for ourselves from this. Are we prepared to take up our cross, to let our life go? Jesus said, if anyone come after me, you are to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That's sobering, isn't it? What he was doing with Peter. It applies to us today as well. And then from here, um, they, from Philippia Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, sorry, they went a little bit further north to the Mount of Transfiguration, which they think is Mount Hermon. It's a 9,000-foot mountain with snow on top all the year round. And they think that's just, this is a place where Jesus was transfigured. <coughs> uh, 
again, Peter messes things up there. You know, he, he tries to build, a, build shelters for um, not only Jesus, but Moses and Elijah as well. And of course, he got that totally wrong. At this point, though, we've got to remember that Peter had actually been, it'd been revealed to him who Jesus was. He'd confessed him as the Christ. He'd seen him on the Mount of Transfiguration in his glory, which nobody else had seen. And then from this point onwards, Jesus set his face for Jerusalem. And within six months, he would be crucified. And, and, and praise God, right, raised again from the dead. So we'd, I'd like to fast forward again to those six months to this time when uh, what was probably the, the darkest 24 hours for Peter of all. This is the road to Peter becoming a broken man. So after the Last Supper, and even in the Last Supper, Peter messes up. Remember in John, it talks about where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And Peter gets it all wrong. No, you're not washing my feet. He said, well, if I don't wash your feet, I can have none of you. Oh, wash my face and my hands also. You don't understand, Peter. And from, from there, they went out to Gethsemane, the olive grove. And this is the, uh, the place where Jesus was in anguish. He was in distress where he prayed earnestly that the cup may pass from him. And he asked them one thing. He asked them, can you keep watch for me while I go aside and pray? Can you just go, just, just watch out for me? And what did they do? Remember, he came back and found them asleep. Could you not keep watch for one hour? I can imagine that Peter was disgusted with himself. He'd let Jesus down again. But it gets worse. It gets worse. The crowds come to arrest Jesus. So what, do, what does Peter do? Grabs his sword out and, 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 says, and he slices the ear off Malchus. Here we go. You can imagine. Here we go. The Messiah and me and the rest of the guys, we're going to conquer the world now. Come and get it. I'm not afraid. I've got the Messiah on my side. But what does Jesus do? He rebukes Peter. Put your sword away, Peter. And he lets himself be manhandled away like a criminal. Do you know, just think about it, the bottom must have fallen out of Peter's world then. He stood there with the sword in his hand, dripping blood, watching this person who he knows to be Jesus, he knows to be the Christ, the Messiah, being bound and led away like a criminal. Yet he can't fight because Jesus has told him he can't fight. You just imagine the anguish. What's happening? His whole world had been turned upside down. And as night progressed, Peter, as Jesus said he would do, denied his Lord three times. He denied Jesus, denied that he knew him. First time to a servant girl. He was afraid of a servant girl. Second time to another girl. And then on the third occasion, we read that he was swearing and cursing, saying, I don't know him. You know, I don't know him. Back to the old Peter, the old fisherman. Back to where he was. Peter was afraid. Not only was he afraid, but he was just confused, disorientated, didn't know what to do. And then the cock crowed. I mean, we read that Jesus, being led out of the courtyard, turned 
and looked at Jesus. I looked at Peter, sorry. And, you know, we don't know what was in that look. It might have been a look of, told you so, or it might have been, oh, you failure, Peter. Or, as I like to think it was, it was, Peter, I still love you. We don't know. We don't know what was in that look. But what we do know, uh, and, and all the Gospels tell us, that Peter went outside and broke down and he wept bitterly. He was a broken man. Do you know, we hear, we hear very little more of Peter, apart from a brief appearance at the empty tomb, until this scene where the disciples had gone fishing again, had gone back to what they knew. And Jesus appeared to them. And they'd been out there fishing at night, and they caught nothing, and Jesus gave them some instruction about it. Does this sound familiar? We talked about this earlier on, didn't we? It's very similar to the, the previous occasion. Jesus said, right, uh, you lot out there, let your nets down on the right side of the boat. And I'm thinking, okay. So they did that. And they caught, it tells us, they tell us in the Bible that they caught 153 large fish. Now somebody went out and counted them. It's, I think it just blows my mind that. But the detail, it's got to, it can't be made up, can it? Why would you say 153? There's all sorts of nonsense talked about, you know, how 153 is a significant number. But the fact is, it was a large amount of fish. But listen, it says, the net remained intact. The net this time didn't tear, didn't rip. And I like to think that that is really showing... Subtly, that the disciples were now ready. They were well equipped. Their equipment was solid. It was, per- it was perfect for catching fishes of, being fishes of men, catching men for Jesus. And just seven weeks later, after Peter's first sermon, we're told that 3,000 people became followers of Jesus. But Jesus and Peter had some uh, unfinished business. And Jesus asked three questions to, to rid Peter's guilt of his three denials. He called him Simon. You're still the reed. You're not quite yet the rock. We've got something to sort out yet. And I'm going to read from uh, just a very short passage from John chapter 21. It's a well-known, very well-known passage. <clears throat> so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And we need to really look at the, 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 the Greek translations of the word love. There's two, two variations here. There's one which some, some uh, versions of the Bible call, do you truly love me? And the truly love me is talking about that, uh, that, that love which encapsulates um, the entire personality, including your will. And then when the word love is used, it's talking about an affection or a fondness. And I'd, I'd just like to read that passage again uh, in this book. Uh, it's a book by David Pawson about Simon Peter. If he translates it into uh, more understandable or more poignant words. Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you really care for me? Simon replied, Lord, I'm very fond of you. Or to put it in one word instead of a phrase, Simon, do you love me? Lord, I like you. At last, Simon is honest. At last, Simon is realistic about himself. At last, Simon is not prepared to say anything beyond what is true. Gone is the man who said, I'll die with you. Gone is the man who said, I'll go to prison with you. And who didn't? In his place is the man who says, I like you. I'm fond of you. But how could I say I care after what I've done? So they went on eating breakfast. And after a bite or two of fish, Simon turned to Simon again. Sorry, Jesus turned to Simon again. Simon, do you love me? Not more than these this time, but just a straight question. Do you love me? Lord, I'm very fond of you. I like you. Feed my sheep. They went on eating. Then third time over the charcoal fire. Simon, are you fond of me? The third time Peter was so upset because Jesus came down to his level. He was so grieved at the third time Jesus asked him, in his own terms, are you fond of me? Do you like me? Peter, Lord, you know everything. You know how far I can go. You know how far I can't go. You know the limits now. You know I'm fond of you. That's as far as I'm going to go. I won't say any more than is true. Simon, feed my sheep. In that moment, not only was the denial cancelled, but the big fisherman became the big pastor. A change occupation. A fisherman became his shepherd. It is such a change of calling, but Jesus took him where he was. Jesus is not asking for great things. He's simply saying, will you come to me and be honest and let me use you as you are? Will you say no more than you mean? And so, from there, the new start. We read in Acts chapter 1 that Peter takes, assumes the lead of the apostles. They'd lost Judas, obviously, so they wanted to, find, to get a, third, a 12th apostle. And, and he takes charge of, of Matthias being chosen. <coughs> Acts chapter 2, we have the, 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 the coming of the Holy Spirit, the long for the awaited gift. And once Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit, it's just amazing what happens then. He preaches powerfully. Straight away we've taught he preaches. I mentioned earlier the 3,000. Now we look through Acts, we see 
the church growing, growing, growing throughout the word of Acts as, as God uses people uh, who is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It gave Peter the confidence to go to that lame man when they're on their way to pray. And the lame man says, give me some money. He said, he said I haven't got any money, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Not if it's, God, if it's God's will, um, you'll be healed, you know, or if it's God's will, you'll rise up and walk. No, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What confidence he had in God. Amazing. But, you know, all the time, through all this, all this ministry, Peter gives glory to Jesus. Never once does he say, it's about me. It's about Jesus. Take encouragement, you know, if we're, if we're looking at ourselves becoming Peter's, you know, there were still bits of the old Peter there. Remember the, when the sheep was let, let down in his dream and God said, eat. Peter says, never, Lord, that's unclean food. You know, God said, no, what I've said is clean. It's clean. Get on with it, Peter. And, of course, he goes to Cornelius and he takes the word of God to the Gentiles. Uh, and then there's a, there's a very interesting uh, occasion when Peter starts going back to the old lawful ways of the, of the old Jews. Uh, read about it in Galatians 2. I'll say no more about that because it takes... I have got time now. But, uh, but Peter is a transformed man. But what's great is he's still being refined. God is still refining him. But you know, here's the thing. Jesus knows you and me just as he knew Peter. And he wants to take, take each one of us and, he, and say to us, follow me. He wants us to obey him. He wants us to step out of that boat. It might be dangerous. He wants us to do that. And he wants us to keep our eyes on him. And if he does that, the commission to us, the demand is, I will make you, the offer is, I'll make you fishes of souls for my kingdom.